On May 9th, 2019, I received a phone call that changed my life forever. On the other end was a detective from the Port St. Lucie Police Department telling me that my son Liam was gone, that he had taken his life. I adopted Liam when he was an infant in my first marriage. Liam was born two and a half months early, weighing in at only one and a half pounds. His parents were William and Polly Lynch of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Now, William and Polly Lynch were alcoholics, and the disease got the better of them. They were beautiful people. I got to meet William Lynch many years later, but I knew in my heart of hearts that Liam's mom loved him despite her addiction and her pain, and he had fetal alcohol syndrome. And that's brain damage that actually occurs to the infant when their mother drinks heavily when they are in the womb. Now she, Liam's mom, biological mother, fell sick right after the pregnancy. It just taxed her too much and her liver gave out and crystallized and she died, leaving three other children and Liam in the early intervention hospital of Newark. Now, William Lynch was a barroom brawler, alcoholic, dysfunctional mess. In his words to me years later, when he and Liam actually did get to meet, in his words, he was a remnant of a human being. Not only was he an alcoholic and a bar brawler, but he had just recently become a widow and the grief crippled him. He was supposed to visit with Liam and see Liam at the hospital. They brought my first wife and I in as foster parents, and he was supposed to visit with Liam when he was a foster parent, and he never did. And what had happened was the social worker that actually was tracking Liam's case and working with us as foster parents, after almost three years of us having Liam and him bonding with us, it turned to adoption. The caseworker actually had the moxie to track William Lynch down in a bar and told him, listen, you have to make a decision to get your life together and get this little boy or it's going to be detrimental to him pulling him out of the environment that he's in now. And this man asked the social worker two questions. First, he said, what about the kid? Do they love him? And she said, yes, it's a very supportive, loving environment that he's in. And then he said, well, what about the kid? Does the kid love him? He didn't say the parents. He wanted to know if the kid loved me and saw me as a father figure. And the nurse said, yeah. I mean, the social worker said, yes. Yes, indeed. They seem to be very bonded, and he seems to be very attached. The social worker reports that William Lynch had tears in his eyes, said, give me the effing papers, signed them, and then told her to leave his sight before he kills her. 
So there she went. And on January 28th, 1993, it was one of the best days of my life. We adopted Liam and through the courts. There was a ceremony and everything. And Liam grew up. We had to take him to specialists. They looked at him. They said, oh, yes, he definitely has a lot of effects from the fetal alcohol syndrome. They said that the two-and-a-half-month birth might have been a godsend so that he wasn't totally full-blown fetal alcohol syndrome. Now, they talked about him probably couldn't read, um, probably couldn't keep up physically. He was born premature. He was little. He was fetal alcohol syndrome. And I'm telling you, Liam was all boy. He grew up. You know, he grew up playing on the playgrounds. I, I play, played ball with him, ran, went to the beach, boogie board, did everything. When he was four years old, we moved to Florida. He was in the water. He was on surfboards. He was on his bike. He, he did everything. And when he went to school, he took off reading. He loved reading. He was an avid reader, and he did very well in school. Now, unfortunately... As Liam wrote to me years later, said that he had an ideal, ideal childhood. When Liam was eight or nine years old, his parents, our marriage fell apart with my first wife. And it was not pretty. And we wound up getting divorced. And Liam and I enjoyed our one-on-one -on -one time. and We had shared custody. But when I remarried and I regret it now as I look back it's one of the regrets that I have I kind of pushed Liam into a blended family situation with two stepsisters my my wife Carrie Ann and I felt that we were so in love and 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 came out of such bad marriages and now the kids could have a healthy marriage in front of them two people that really loved each other and Liam didn't want it but there there was part of it where his his mom was insanely jealous. She was okay with the divorce and the shared custody, but when I had somebody else and there was somebody else in Liam's life, she was insanely jealous. And Liam chose not to come with me. And kind of, we kind of went our separate ways and it broke my heart then. I mean, I grieved Liam more than once. I did not see him consistently for five years we would talk on the phone and I think I saw him once or twice in that five-year period but when he was 13 he decided I don't want to be in your life anymore and I wasn't going to make him come I have regrets about all that I probably could have handled it differently and this is one of the things that complicates our grief and I'm telling you all this for a reason because at that point I was thought then that I was doing the right thing. I was hoping that his mom would calm down. However, when Liam was 18, in the beginning of his senior year in school, his mom died. His mom died halfway, well, it was halfway through his senior year in high school. His mom died. And he was immediately on the phone with me and came back into our lives. The only thing that was different is Liam now had a five-year-old sister. <laughs> and we decided to tell Grace that she had a brother because Liam had disowned me. 
But he told me that was all to go along with his mom, that he loved me, and there were so many nights he just wanted to run and be with me. And he did call her without her knowing. He called me often without her knowing about it. So it was a bad situation that he was in. So he came back into our lives and was with the family, participating, doing things together. We went to his graduation. We had a big birthday party for him that year. And then he was he won a couple of awards and got a free scholarship to the local college. And he was living on his own. But it was at this point that I saw a lot of his a lot of his fetal alcohol syndrome things, gaps begin to show because adolescence, your brain rapidly changes. So we saw the deficits in his brain. We saw a little bit more of his, his struggles with executive functioning, impulse control, things like that. Yet his heart was so beautiful and so pure. And we saw him through the summer and then he began in September of 2008, he began college and he called me and he said, Dad, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in college. I want to go active in the military. And he chose the Marines and he went into the Marines. That was in the fall of 2008. And he was scheduled to go to boot camp in 2009. So we had some wonderful times together. We had Christmas time together. He and I went up to New Jersey to be with my parents for New Year's. I mean, not for New Year's, for Thanksgiving. It was just him and I went. He wanted to see everybody before he shipped out to boot camp. Now, he went in the Marines. He um, got married when he was in the Marines, got divorced when he was, well, he started the divorce while he was in the Marines. While, while he was in the Marines, this is important to, to note, I got a call from him and his biological dad had reached out to him and said, Liam, I don't know if you know who I am. Um, and if you don't, um, I won't contact you. If you do understand who I am and you don't want to talk to me, I understand. So Liam called me and said that he had reached out. Now I figure that the rules with the adoption agency was that the records were sealed until Liam was 18 or Liam could seek him out. I'm not really sure how he found him, but he found him through Facebook. And Liam wanted to know how I felt. And I said, Liam, this is great. You know, there's room enough for everybody in God's kingdom. This is great. And it sounded like he had recovery and Liam called him, and he was so grateful and so thankful. And I arranged for Liam to get leave from the Marines to go to my parents' house in New Jersey, where his, his biological dad lived, William Lynch lived, and he could drive down and, and meet Liam for the first time. And it was beautiful. I wasn't there, and my mom called me, she went outside and called me and said, I cannot believe how much they are alike, how similar they are. And that just shows you the nature versus nurture thing because Liam never saw him. And yet my mom says they had, they looked alike and they had some of the same mannerisms. So that lasted a year and a half because William Lynch's cancer came back and, and, and he passed away. But he did get to reconcile with Liam and he did. And him and I were close. We talked. 
and we had a great relationship and it was really a beautiful a beautiful thing to see this man reconciled something that he had grieved for so long and you know but he had eight years of sobriety at that time so one of the things he said to me is he said bill he said i'm really really afraid that liam's going to want to you know naturally go out with his buddies in the marines on the weekend and drink but he can't drink because fetal alcohol syndrome kids are actually born alcoholics. They're born addicted to alcohol. And it was in his genes. It was in his genetic makeup. He said, you know, I'm a duck. His mom was a duck. You know, he, he can't drink. And I said, well, maybe you can talk to him about that. I said, I've talked to him about it. But when Liam came out of the Marines, he had, he had just what his dad was afraid of. He drank, and he 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 was he was struggled with alcoholism. He was more of a binge drinker. He could go a long time without drinking, but once he started, he couldn't stop. And he he had a lot of problems coming out, you know. And I saw the mishaps. I saw, and he he had post traumatic stress disorder from the Marines. He never went. He was scheduled to go overseas, and um, he was involved in a training accident where. I think three of his fellow Marines died. He kind of got thrown in the blast and lost part of his hearing. But he, he had post-traumatic stress disorder. He had the fetal alcohol syndrome, um, the sleep problems. So he began to really self-medicate with sleeping pills, heavily on the sleeping pills and drinking. And it, and it was just, there was one thing after another. And I I know the limitations that, the immediate family has in helping him with his addiction. And I had to, I had to keep myself from being codependent with him and yet hold his feet to the fire and love him and support him at the same time. And of course there's things that happen between us where we butt heads, but we always reconciled and um, I'll go into it in future podcasts. Liam and I were in a pretty good place. When he did take his life, but when he came out in 2014, it was a struggle. He he lost a couple of jobs, and he he was on and off with the drinking, and he was he was renting from his fiance's dad, his future father-in-law, and then that fell out. He was nearly homeless at one point, and I couldn't take him into my my home. I wanted him to get maybe into a program to help him with his drinking. I had contacted several fetal alcohol syndrome places to try to get him, you know, to to really learn about. He had somewhat of a disability, and yet he looked so good on paper. He came out of the Marine Corps a corporal, and he re-enlisted to be in the Navy Reserves, and he had alienated himself from from my wife and 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 daughter Grace a little bit and he had he had come to this awareness and really he had a relationship with God he had a relationship with Christ so he wrote us all these beautiful letters of reconciliation and he and I were really you know we we talked about you know the the divorce, and we talked about how close we were, and we were buddies, and 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 he knew I loved him so much, and he loved me, and so we had a lot of good talks. We'd smoke a cigar, we'd get dinner together, we talked, and he was renting a room 
from uh, someone that he saw kind of as an ant figure, like an auntie. Um, it was his mom's really good friend. During those years, he was not with me, and, and she needed someone to rent part of her house, and Liam did. And he wasn't too far from me, and we were spending time together and talking and really moving towards a strong relationship again like we were we, we were always like we always loved each other and, and nothing really broke ever broke that bond nothing ever broke that bond between us and I remember you know a couple weeks before he texted me and told me that you know I was his hero and I said Liam I don't I don't see anything that I've done heroic in your life and looking back now I don't know if he was you know this was his way of saying goodbye to me I don't know, but he said, Dad, he said, when I was all alone and nobody was there for me, you took me in. He goes, and that's why I'll always say hero. You know, I look back at those texts after he died and I said, yeah, some some hero I am. I, I you know, I couldn't save him. I couldn't, I should have seen this coming. At this point, he was, he was unemployed and yet the, the VA did, they did put him on somewhat disability diagnosed a traumatic brain and a traumatic brain injury so he was going to get a supplement each month of about 800 months 800 dollars from the va which made me think well liam can work part-time you know or he can have you know a, a part-time job some kind of job that he's able to do i wanted him to get help and I mentioned it to him a couple times, and he's like, Dad, I got this. And part of it was, he, I was a Marine, you know, I, I earned that title. I was a Marine. I was in the Marine Corps. I'm grown up. And he was 29 years old, but there was a lot of, so many gaps, and in a lot, a lot of ways, he was never, ever going to mature. And we spent the day on, on May 5th together. I texted him earlier in that week. On, on Tuesday, I asked him how his week was going and asked him if he wanted to join us for the, the school that I was teaching at was having a family bowling night where we all would go, teachers and families would go and bowl for free. I knew my, my wife taught in another school and she wouldn't be available and Grace was going to school with me and she probably would want to go and I invited Liam along and he was like, that sounds great, let's have fun. And then we text about it again Wednesday night. And then Thursday morning, he texted me back on May 9th. Yeah, you know, just, just send me the address. According to the detectives, it was 45 minutes later that he, he pulled the trigger and killed himself and ended his life, which plunged me into, into hell, really. I mean, I was in hell. There, there was I wanted to jump in the grave with Liam. There's no, there's no way to describe it but those that are and have lost loved ones they know what I'm talking about suicide made it worse and the fact that I always felt so responsible for Liam made it worse and the fact that I carried guilt concerning the divorce all those things made my grief worse and what I want to share on upcoming podcasts are what what was it that brought me out of such deep despair because there was a wall up there was a wall up between me and the rest of the world this invisible world goes up between you and the rest of the world when you're in such such deep grief and 
There was a wall up between my wife and I, my girls and I. There was, the, and there was no taking it down. There was nothing that I could do. I knew I was in trouble. I knew that this could, this could kill me and every relationship that I had. I was in such deep, deep agony and despair. Now, what worked for me, and this is where I want to go with this, is that if you are in deep grief and mourning, what worked for me may not work for you. The stages of grief that they talk about, it was not a study that was conducted with people that were grieving the loss of loved ones. The study was done with people that were dying and how they would bargain maybe to get more years or how they would be in denial that they were dying and then they would bargain, then they'd get angry and then they'd come to the acceptance stage. It was done, so the stages of grief is not really the best reference point to know. Although I did recognize that every time I told the story of what I was going to do to prevent Liam and to keep him alive, in that way, I was bargaining because I wasn't, I was denying and bargaining because I wasn't admitting it yet. But what I'm saying is if you are in deep grief and sorrow, I can share with you what worked for me. And this is what worked for me. Part one, it may not work for you. Number one, I became acquainted and really was learning about what I was going through. I read a book that I would highly recommend, Understanding Your Grief by Dr. Alan Wolfelt. I didn't like the book at first because he pulled no punches. He said, "There's you have to move towards this pain. You have to feel the pain. You're going to feel the pain. And it may take years for you to even get any kind of semblance of normal. But I read... I read and became acquainted and really knowledgeable of just what grief is. And I read his book and it helped. Number two, I found a grief counselor. It just so happened I had a really good friend, the pastor, senior pastor of our church. He was a Vietnam veteran. He had PTSD. He was well acquainted with grief and he knew Liam. In fact, he spent part of the day with Liam the last day that I spent with Liam. We kind of hung out together. Anyway, I, I, I sought and found and went for grief counseling. But this is so important. You have to find the right person. You have to find the right person to, to talk things through. So number one, I read and became acquainted with the whole grief process and just what it is and really what it is and what it means is that your soul is split right in half, bereavement. So I learned about it. I, I'm going to put some of the books in the show, show, show notes. Also, I went to groups, group counseling. There is a group for parent loss called Compassionate Friends that hospice supports nationwide. I'm pretty sure they're all over the country. But I went to Compassionate Friends. And then because my particular complication in the grief was suicide, that Liam died by his own hand, I went to a, a suicide support group. 
And those were difficult. Those were difficult. So those three things right there, the reading and became acquainted with grief, going to grief counseling and going to support groups, those three things definitely helped and attributed to my healing. One of the things that helped was telling my story over and over again. Kind of the, the story I told you about Liam's life and the complications and his fetal alcohol syndrome. I felt terrible. I felt guilty. I felt like it was all my fault. And that was one of the other things that I had to overcome. And that's with the one-on-one -on -one counseling definitely helped through that. Now, what I'm going to talk about next time is how my faith played into my healing. How God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Believe me, I lost, I lost my faith. And it wasn't that I thought, well, how could God let this happen? It wasn't anything like that. I, for some reason, none of it seemed real. Not just nothing seemed, nothing. How could that all be real? This, this life is all there is. This life has continued to go on and there's continued to be dysfunction in the world. There's continued to be pain in the world. God's not doing anything about it. I don't even know if this is true. And that, that shook me because I had always believed since I was 22 years old, putting my faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, thinking that there was a place called heaven and that we would all live there and that death really wasn't that bad after all. And this shook me to the core and the, the question in my mind is, I don't, I don't think this is real. This, this, it might be real, it could be, but not with the certainty. And this life is all I knew, and I was never, ever, ever going to see Liam again. What I could tell you is God had me the whole time. And what he's done since then, I feel, is a miracle. So I'm going to stop there, and I was glad to share my story, Liam's story, with you. I hope that it brings you some encouragement. And I hope that if you are in grief and mourning, that you will reach out. Please do not try to do this alone. As Dr. Wolfelt says, that grief is what you feel and mourning is grief gone public. Mourning is the outward expression of expressing that pain, expressing it. And there's different ways to do it. I shared three ways, and I'm going to share my faith journey through it all on the next podcast, but then I'm going to share what other people have told me that have helped them in the groups. Thank you for listening. God bless you.